DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, brought to you in part by Zero Res. A clean home is a healthy home, and right now Zero Res is cleaning carpets for $33 per room. Plus, schedule three rooms and they'll clean your fourth for free. Call Zero Res today to schedule your cleaning at 801-288-9376. Steve Cleveland joining us now on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, social media is a funny place. There are pictures out now of Caleb Lohner with his hair trimmed. I wouldn't say cut, but trimmed. He coached at BYU. Is that really this big a deal, or are people just tremendously bored right now without games? <laughs> well, I tell you, when I was there, that the uh, the hair codes and the beer codes and all those kinds of things were very real. And uh, uh, they had an honor code office that... Uh, kind of reminded us on a pretty regular basis what was appropriate or wasn't. So that's been a long time. I, I'm not sure uh, where it's at uh, it, with uh, the new new rules and regulations, because I suspect they've made some changes. But uh, that was something that uh, there's a little bit of sensitivity to that, and uh, we had to be aware of it. And otherwise, you'd kind of get called into the honor code office. You'd not get a, a, some kind of email or, <laughs> or something, some kind of message that said I needed to make sure my players uh, – dressed and looked appropriate. I didn't get many of those, but uh, I uh, and I always was a little jealous that somebody could actually get a beard card. I'm not sure how they did that. <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, just uh, last few years, I had a football coach tell me that it was 20 minutes before a home game. And somebody, I guess from the honor code office, came in and told the coach that he had to go tell one of the players that in order to get out on that field, 20 minutes before kickoff, he needed to shave. <laughs> and and I thought, wow, this is a Saturday. This isn't even a Sunday at church. This is a Saturday. And it's not like your, your deal with basketball. You guys, so to speak, were exposed to the world. You know, you could read lips. You could hear stuff. There was no helmets. The crowd is much closer. And you had good teams. So the place was packed. You got a lot of attention. And so I can understand a little bit more for basketball. Football, you know, it's spread out. Obviously, it's a huge stadium. You got a helmet on. And it just seems 20 minutes before a game when you got to get yourself ready that that was a little excessive well could there could there be things that could be done that could be more respectful to the process of preparing for games and whatnot i I don't think there's any question that it could have been done more appropriately and we look back and and i am sure there have been times when um things were done uh in that in that kind of setting and circumstance and that is inappropriate. I mean, I'll tell you a story that I'm not going to mention any names, no matter how much you want to know. But at the end of the day, we're at Utah, and uh, we're we're getting ready for a game. And you know how small that locker room is. Uh, you know, it might be like 15 by 15 locker room. That includes the shower. I think there's one shower there. I'm sure things have changed now. But uh, we're in the locker room getting ready, and uh, one of my players uh, – transfer player decides to come in with a brand new tattoo. <laughs> now this is pretty young in my experience there, but it, it was really clear at that time that you couldn't have new tattoos, you know, and uh, there was an allowance for people that had tattoos. Uh, and, and, and I saw the, the whole spectrum of it from, you know, cover the tattoos up to, uh, you, you couldn't have them. And anyway, this, this young man had this good-looking tattoo on his arm, 
And uh, he was getting ready. I mean, literally, we're, he, you know, he took everything off. And I, all of a sudden, I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm a pretty new coach there. And, uh, and I, I've had things pretty well explained to me that, you know, this is not what we do. And, and I'd been there long enough when got things situated that I, uh, I, I could have a voice in this matter in the locker room, obviously, and had the support of the school because they had told me that was the circumstance that, you know, we're just not doing tattoos. So uh, basically, I don't think the player understood me. And I said, no, you, we're, we're not doing that. You're, you're going to cover it up. And, uh, and then because I'm not going to deal with all that fallout. And all of this is happening right before the game. And we're playing one of the great Utah teams at the time anyway, hard enough to play to have a distraction like that in the locker room. And it, it was really uncomfortable. You know, and eventually the young man, you know, we covered it up with tape because he wanted to play. You know, I said, oh, you're going to have your warm-up on and you're not, you're not going to play. And, and that, so you, you talk about that culture and what I had, you know, been shared with me from my administration that, you know, we, I wasn't going to go buck the system. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen, especially as a young coach and, and not understanding a lot of the things about the school anyway uh, at that particular point in time. So it ended up being okay. I mean, the player understood finally. You know, it was it was kind of an emotional thing. It's certainly not what you want as you prepare to go walk on the floor and you're having to have a conversation with a player that he's not going to play because of a tattoo. And we and we you know that we have players that had tattoos that had them previously, and they kind of changed those rules and and allowed that. But uh, yeah, I can still remember that vividly right there in that tiny little locker room being. Uh, not, just not believing that I could have something like this happen for a game. And, uh, and I handled it the best I felt I could handle it. And uh, it didn't become a distraction. And the public never really was made aware of it. And uh, we just moved on like we do as coaches. But uh, I did have an experience with that. <laughs> so who was the player? <laughs> no, I'm not telling you. <laughs> how often how often does something happen like that where there's something that you know the outside world would consider dramatic intriguing salacious whatever and it just doesn't get out but it's something you have to put it up with and it's something you got to spend a lot of energy on how often does that happen not just at BYU but just in your experience at Fresno State and stuff you know coaches get together and you tell stories about crazy stuff that happens well I, I think that there are always things that happen and, and you do, you know, you must manage that. I know, uh, uh, you know, they talk a lot about at BYU right now and Coach Polk talks a lot about being the best locker room in America and those kinds of things. And I think that those things are really important, but there's still personalities, there's circumstances, there's emotions, and, uh, no matter what things happen. And, uh, I, I can remember, uh, at the junior college when I was at pretty Fresno city college. And, uh, I had, uh, a couple of high profile players and, uh, uh one of them was Rafer Alston and, uh, and Rafer was an intense competitor and, uh, he, he was a leader for us and he had had some issues in his life, anger issues and things. And he had committed to, to Fresno state and was going to play for Jerry Tarkanian and uh, he was there on his uh, recruiting visit with some other players. Well, as the near the, the locker room, I don't know if you, either one of you have ever been in Salon Arena, but I think you may have been, but there's a small area by the locker rooms, and, and these recruits were kind of just hanging out uh, for Fresno State, and one of them was my player. 
And uh, the next thing I know, I'm coming back, you know, and I'm walking back there to to uh, get ready. And all of a sudden, I see two or three guys kind of pushing each other, shoving, yelling. You know, there, there's a confrontation, and one of them was my player. And uh, and so, you know, what is going on here? You know, and apparently somebody had offended somebody, and I don't know if it was as simple as. Uh, uh, East Coast rap to West Coast rap or whatever it was. <laughs> it was something really, really important, I'm sure. But it was stupid as it was. It got confrontational, and it wasn't pushing and shoving. Well, what, what I didn't know is uh, that the media was there with cameras. <laughs> with cameras. And uh, and I thought, and, and we, we were like the number one team in the country. This, obviously, Graper's a really good player. And uh, I, I didn't want to additional attention. And I certainly don't want to have to answer for why my point guard is in a confrontational issue with other recruits <laughs> before the game. And so uh, you can imagine as a coach, sometimes you just get a knot in your stomach thinking, Oh my gosh, I don't need it. And there are already enough headlines with Tark and the whole group there every day. <laughs> I mean, there was always something happening. I just didn't want it to spill over into the Fresno City College program. <laughs> and uh, anyway, for me, luckily, uh, this, the newscaster, the sports newscaster, was a good friend of mine, and I graduated from high school with him. And I just asked him, I said, I, I know you were there, and I said, what, what are you thinking, thinking about what you're going to do with that piece? <laughs> and he goes, well, I'm going to, it's going to be a piece on my show tonight. I said, and I, and I, again, I'm not sharing names, but I just said, listen, I said, you know, that's not going to be helpful to me, to what I'm trying to do. I'll take care of it. I promise you I'll take care of it. It wasn't that serious, but as soon as this thing hits the papers or it's the news, then all of a sudden we've got all this attention and it's a distraction to what we're doing. Nobody was hurt. It was, you know, it was obviously inappropriate what happened. And, uh, so, you know, he didn't. He never really said to me and committed to me that he, he wasn't going to show it. And uh, so I, it was kind of a sleepless night, you know, because I thought, oh, man, I'm going to have to deal with this. And uh, there was nothing I could do. The next day, that night, that night, it didn't show up. And the next day, it didn't show up. And three or four days, it didn't show up. And I realized my good friend took care of me. <laughs> and uh, he uh, was I'm thankful to. And I, I, you know, I called him. I said, thank you. I said, it, 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 you know, it's just something right now. There's so many distractions. And you, you all know that time here. There, You had Wojnarowski. You, you know, you had all the top yeah. guys. They, I mean, they're covering basketball at Fresno State. Yeah, Andy and, Katz was uh, there. Andy, Andy Katz. You know, these guys made – they started their careers in that locker room. That's where it started for them. And they had – you know, they did, that, that's where it happened for Andy and both of them. I mean, hey, Adrian had to leave town. Uh, and, and I consider Adrian a really good friend when he was here, and I had not had any contact with him in years. But uh, he was such a good human being. And I, it, it, that environment and circumstance got to him, and eventually he just had to leave. Because he had, you know, he was writing editorials, and he was just following the team and yeah. being, everybody's, being everybody's friend. But for Adrian, he, he had a difficult task, and eventually he would leave. and really missed not having him there. But that just gives you kind of a feel of the environment in that program and what eventually I would come back to and have to clean up. But it was uh, it was a little crazy. So I, I have had a few of those experiences. Yeah, I can recall there was an issue you had with a, with a player. 
and I had found out about it, and I was down. You were practicing in the field house, and I was coming towards the end of the practice, and you saw me in there, and you left the court and came up, and we went up and sat in the stands where they would sit now for the volleyball. And I remember your sports information guys like what what the heck's going on? <laughs> and you came up to me and you and you were so open. That's what I, I found it fascinating that you, the, the way you dealt with the media. A junior college doesn't typically get a lot of attention. Fresno City maybe got more so than if you were in a bigger metropolitan area uh, as far as junior college. You take for instance Salt Lake Community. I mean they hardly get any. Uh, but anyway, my point is that you. You just had a natural way of dealing with the media that uh, was something that it looked like you'd had years and years of training. And how did you develop that to be able to know, to, to have a program that was open to where you would allow media in, but yet still be able to make sure that the message that you wanted was presented in a way that you liked? I think, I think one of the things at, at Fresno City College, because it was so high profile, and, uh, you know, I had Chris Heron. I mean, a lot of people in Utah may not know who Chris Heron is. I mean, he's really turned his life around today and just doing some good things. But Chris Heron was a highly publicized recruit. Uh, his father was in politics back in, 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 in Massachusetts in that area. And he came out and, uh, and he already had a, a book written about him, you know, before he even got there. And so there were some really high-profile people. And... They interacted with us, and 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 I had to. De- I was I was as a junior college coach. I was dealing with Adrian, and I was I was dealing with Andy because some of my players were going over there. Larry Abney was going over there, so I had that experience early on that nobody else would have in a junior college. They just wouldn't have it. And and then when I got to BYU, uh, Lynn Archibald. Um, who played a significant role in opening a door for me there to get involved in that job. We, we became good friends. And, and he had a good friend that had been involved in the program. And one of the things that Lynn said to me was, he said, you're coming, from, you're coming to a place that you have no history with or any perspective. He said, I know you're confident. I know you're comfortable with people and around people. But I said, you need to spend some time with with this this guy and you need to spend some time with me when you come in that we can give you a little bit of lay of the land of you know what's going on and so during that time during that time before you know Lynn got really sick but I can remember him sharing things with me about just public relations about the media and I had always had a really positive relationship with the media well, it's easy to have a positive relationship with the media when you always have really good teams yeah. and you don't have any real problems. <laughs> you know, every, every, everybody likes each other. You know, it's when people do inappropriate things and you're losing. You're, now you've lost four or five in a row. And you've got to answer to that. So, that being said, I think Lynn knew that. I think he knew it, and uh, he, he became a mentor to me for a short period of time, and. Uh, and he had a friend, Ron Dotson, who was a very close personal friend of his, who was, you know, someone that was involved in my life that helped me to understand. But I, I always felt that it was important to, to be open and transparent, especially in situations like that. And I, I was, I mean, we've all been in meetings and rooms and circumstances where we had a, you know, our gut was aching and, and we were nervous and, 
things weren't going right and we're trying to fix it. And uh, I just felt like my experiences at Fresno City with all the media and then coming and having Lynn kind of mentor me and take me aside and share some things with me that I, that I wouldn't have known. You know, it's a combination. Same thing with Ron. It was a combination of those things. And then, you know, the other thing was is that my staff got a chance to kind of see that. And, and, and when we had staff meetings, I'm, I'm kind of famously known for yellow pads of paper. <laughs> and even my wife still kids me to this day that, you know, I, I wasn't a technology guy. I wasn't using computers and things, but I always had a pad of paper. I was always keeping notes and writing things down. And there were a lot of, a lot of staff meetings that I had the opportunity to kind of work with and teach and learn from uh, what it was going to be like at this next level. And so, you know, to be honest with you, Pat, when I saw you came in, and I think just coming from a different perspective, not being from Utah, I, you know, I kind of wanted to get to know the media guy. I, you know, I, mean, I knew him well in Fresno. I mean, and when things weren't right, it wasn't like they didn't, when we played bad, talk about it. But I always felt, to be honest with you, pretty safe there in that setting because I was just going to tell you how I felt anyway. And I didn't feel like there was some vindictive person uh, that was trying, was out to get me. You know, and I mean, I felt support, and I knew that when things were good, they're going to get reported good. When they weren't, we weren't. And uh, and nobody likes it when you're not playing well. And, uh, and even with Gordon Monson, I can remember having an interview with Gordon Monson when I first got there. And uh, he, he, he did a, a, a cute, fun, it was a kind of a fun little piece on who I was and being from California and some things. And we had some conversations. And I, and I think that, you know, I think probably if I had gotten uh, information from people, you know, Gordon was the kind of guy, well, you got to be careful with Gordon. You know, <laughs> and I know, you know, you know what they're talking about. You know, it's like, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to be the guy that's writing editorials and doing things. But I, I never really felt, and, and Gordon had to write things about me as you did, Pat, that when things weren't right and weren't well, and, uh, and, and I knew that. But luckily, I had some good mentors to kind of help me deal with that and address that, and uh, it's not to say that there aren't times, the coach would be lying to you if he didn't tell you that when things weren't good and when people were saying things, and hey, and today with social media and things as they are, uh, it's, it's, a, you know, it's 100 times worse. But I, I always felt uh, comfortable in that setting because of a lot of the things I learned from Lynn and from Ron and, 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 and my past experiences at Fresno City with, with, with Adrian and Andy Katz. I mean, it was just, I was very fortunate to be around those types of good people. Well, it was funny you said that about Lynn Archibald giving you the lay of the land because I didn't know when I got my first TV job. But the guy I was replacing said, you need to know this, boom, 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 and dealing with this boss is like this, and this boss is like this. And it was all spot on, and it made it so easy. And I mean, I knew it helped, but I didn't really know until I went to Sacramento and Salt Lake without that. <laughs> and I looked back, wow, Dan really did me a favor. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And the, the, funny, the funny thing is that uh, Mark Pope marries Lynn Archibald's daughter. Yep. Yeah, you know what I, uh, you know, at the time, and and you know, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'll tell you another little story here. About three years earlier, uh, I had the opportunity to actually come up and visit Roger Reed. He had me come up. Um, 
there had been an opening in his staff. And the only reason that he would even be thinking about me is that Roger and I had become friends and uh, at camps. He, uh, I'd gone to a couple of BYU camps, and, and when he was with Liddell Anderson, Liddell Anderson was good friends with my college coach. And I was a high school coach, but I got to know uh, I got to know him. And, and so, as, as it turns out, I went up, and I had been involved with Roger. He, had, he was curious about the matchup zone that Boyd Grant was running. And, and so I had been invited to come up, and there was a job opening, and just to talk poops and stuff. And I did. Three years before I came to BYU, I spent a wonderful weekend with Roger. And uh, we talked hoops, and, uh, and, and as it turns out, uh, I didn't get the job. Uh, he hired Lynn Archibald. And so the, the irony, you know, I mean, there's a lot of irony here. Uh, and, and Roger and I, you know, we weren't close friends, but he always took really good care of me when I came to camp. He was really kind and, to me. And for me, you know, mo- most people don't know this, but for me to come in and be involved in that job, when I had no idea what was going on at the university, I had no relationships. The only person I really knew was, was Roger from working camps. And then I knew guys like Greg Shaddy, high school coaches who, you know, we hung out with when I was working camps and played hearts at night till two in the morning and, and got to make some good friends that way. But interestingly enough, that Lynn Archibald would be the director of basketball operations and be very sick. And I would be involved with him uh, three years earlier where he was the guy that actually came on staff and, and got the job that, you know, I was hopeful that I might get. But, I, you know, when I saw who he hired, I thought, wow, this guy's been a head coach a couple times. <laughs> that, that's a great hire. And at that point in time, I remember coming back home to my wife and telling her that, you know what? That was really unrealistic. I don't know why I even thought. I don't know anybody there. It doesn't make sense. And I kind of just said, enough's enough. I'm not doing that. I have a great job. And I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing and where I'm doing it. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, three years later, uh, I get a phone call from Lynn telling me what happened. And someday when we have a story, I have a little time, I'll tell you the story. But 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 it was... It was Lynn, so obviously I have a really soft spot in my heart for Lynn and uh, his wife and and, and uh, his family. So uh, yeah, the fact that Mark's there now and and killing it, uh, just we're all connected. Isn't it funny how we somehow, some way got connected? Just like uh, I got a little bit connected with Dave Rose. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that sometime here. And just amazing how things unfold. Well, as always, Steve, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and telling some stories. You bet, man. Protect there, you guys. Have a good week.